This is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another great episode of Improv Nerd. Our guest today is Bill Arnett. He has been improvising in Chicago for 16 years with some of the city's best groups like People of Earth, 3033, and The Armando Show at the I.O. Chicago. He is former head of the I.O. Training Center, and he's the founder of the Chicago Improv Studio. He's been on the podcast before, but we invited him back to discuss his brand new improv book, which I really loved, called The Complete Improviser. But before we get to that episode, I just want to say that uh, yesterday our nanny took uh, Betsy, my just turned seven months uh, daughter, to um, Northwestern University, which isn't far from our home, to do um, some testing, like uh, brain testing, because we like to help science. We really do. And uh, when she came back, it was like about a half hour test. They hooked up like EKG or something, you know, like a weird thing to her header. And she came back and she made $10. And I got to tell you something. I've never been more proud of my daughter since having her that she made $10. And you know what I did? I wanted to just, uh, and this is, this is probably kind of foreshadowing how bad of a parent I am. I wanted just to turn to the cat, our cat Coco, which we've had for four years, and just go like, Coco, look, Betsy's been around for seven months and she made 10 bucks and you've been here for four years and you've done nothing. So uh, thank God I only have one kid because um, it's less, less, less children to screw up. Uh, here it is. You're going to love this. Bill Arnett, we break down his book. You are going to get so many valuable tips about Bill's approach to improvisation. And what I love, especially about Bill, is he has put his own spin. He's rediscovered, redeveloped improvisation for you. So if you like to play it slow and real, uh, this, this is a great episode for you. Uh, I hope you get a lot of stuff out of it. I learned a, a shitload. So here it is, the Bill Arnett episode. Enjoy. Bill Arnett, thank you for being our guest on Improv Nerd. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Oh, no problem. Now, yeah. you started doing improv at SAC Comedy Lab in Orlando. When you first started, you said you resented the audience because they gave you suggestions. Can you tell us about that? Um, I, uh, I saw SAC when I was, if I never joined, okay. uh, when I was in, growing up in... Uh, I'll have to when, talk to my research department. <laughs> no that. worries. No worries. Uh, started doing improv formally at, at college, at University of Florida. And um, um, we were actually at a festival in Athens, Georgia, back, this is like before the internet, and... Uh, what year, do you remember? This would have been 94, 5, somewhere in there, and it's all about the handouts. Everybody had handouts, because... What do you mean handouts? Like, you would take a workshop, and people had handouts, and there'd be these group discussions, and people were like, there's this thing called the Herald, and there are people trying to explain it with handouts and things, and, and just like, oh, here's some improv pointers, well, here's a handout, you know, and I still have a bunch of. I need, I need to post them somewhere. They're, 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 it's just a fun thing to think about, you know, pre-internet, you know, well, barely, pre-internet as we know it, right? For sure, yeah. So you were so. Well, we, getting we, back to the short form and how you resented the audience for giving you suggestions. Well, we a bunch of kind of snotty college kids 
thought it would be, we're giving suggestions to other performers during some of the shows. And we quickly were like, a few people, myself included, were like, we can almost sabotage their show by giving them certain suggestions, you know? And, and maybe they need to be a bit more careful what they're asking for. But um, we kind of, it was kind of an impish thing to do, and we quickly realized that was probably not a very nice thing to do. And then the moment we got back home and started doing shows, we started seeing the audience's suggestions as, why? what's the... What's the motivation behind that suggestion? Why that suggestion? You know, it wasn't just say anything. Uh, it's, it, you know, suddenly they're, they're saying things on purpose. And I, I began to worry that, like, are we just dancing monkeys? Are we, are we just, you know, slaves to their suggestion? And if we don't use it like they anticipate or would like, then we're doing it wrong. And I got to the point where I think I'm pretty good at this. Don't judge me whether or not I'm doing it wrong. By meeting your expectations. How were you when you started out doing short form? I was fine. Uh, I was the um, uh, emotionally detached, say funny things, standing on the side improviser. and uh, Kind of the guy that comments on what was going on? Yeah, comment on what's going on, uh, um, try to find the angles and play the angles, you know. I think short form lends itself to that a lot. And we would always, oh, here's, here's this game you know, replay or you or, or Half Life or whatever you want to call it. We try to think about okay, here's what you need to do in the first scene. You got to move your body left and right and up and down because then when it's replayed in a shorter scene, you got to do that faster. You know, so we're almost trying to break the games a little bit. I don't think that's uncommon. I bet a lot of people <laughs> do that kind of stuff, but that's the kind of player I think I was. And then you came to Chicago and you started to do long form. Yeah. And when you studied at I.O., you, you like to play fast, I would imagine, because of your short-form background. Sure. And then you didn't like to do slow scenes until you saw a show called Trio, which yeah. I believe was Stephanie Ware, Bob Dassey, and Rich Tellerico. Correct. What changed? Um, before that moment, when, you, when you're introduced to long-form via short-form, you still see Harold or whatever it is you're doing as just a game, a long game. And in the same way you try to, I would think about short form games as like, well, how do I crack it? How do I break it? What are the angles to play? Um, you know, it's funny during gibberish to say something really, really long in gibberish and have a, a one word English answer, you know, and trying to do that same thing with Harold and try to like, well, there's got to be a trick to this. There's got to be some cranks to turn. There's got to be a trick to this. Um, unsuccessful. Uh, <laughs> and then Trio, which, you know, for at the time and... 98, 99, whatever that was. Um, it was just three people doing 40 minutes, with maybe five scenes in 40 minutes. And at the time, at least in my mind, that was heresy. That was impossible. You shouldn't be, that's, you know, that's the sun at the center of the universe. And it's like, well, no, 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 the earth's at the center of the universe, you know? And it's like, and the second you start, wow, wow, oh boy, this has big implications. You don't need a form to be funny. You, you don't, we need to do good scenes. And if we have good scenes, a form can be, can accentuate those good scenes, but a good form's not going to save bad scenes. So how does a young Bill Arnett change his play after seeing that? <laughs> it took a long time. It took, it took a long time and it took, in some ways, um, it just took a long time. It, it took um, 
getting involved in shows. Uh, I did the Hot Carl show for a long time. And that which, first, which can you explain what the Hot Carl Yeah, Carl? it was uh, the late night show at Comedy Sports. That but it, was, it, was, it was very blue. It was blue. It was absolutely filthy. And, 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 but it, especially in the first iteration, it wasn't necessarily about being filthy. It was just knowing that the show could go there. And I loved, loved, loved finding creative, fun ways to get around blue things or to go there without really going there. And, and uh, the, I think the original cast had a real fun job and, and some of the later iterations of the cast had a, just a great time not leaning on the blue. Um, but, but in those shows as well, there was no form. It was a completely montage. And I think the trio show made the montage popular as a whole. Um, so getting involved in those kinds of shows, it just took a long time. It's just, it took a lot of failure. It took a lot of seeing other people succeed and seeing myself fail and watching really good players, watching the really good foreign players like Bob and Steph and, and Rich and, uh, and, uh, you know, the TJs of the world and other players who, whether they know it or not, are leaning on their acting and are leaning on their, um, their command of, of, of portrayal of character, you know? And that's what I loved about your book, because you really speak to this is an art form that you really need to act. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're on stage in front of people. You're, like it or not, you're an actor. Um, And it's easy to say, well, I'll act a little bit, but I have quickly realized that a little bit of acting goes an incredibly long way and um, doesn't take much. You don't have to, you know, don't have to be soul bearing. We don't have to like, you know, these Oscar winning moments or anything. We don't have to just being available and aware of what's going on. So yeah. what is your definition of acting when it applies to improvisation? Um, getting your message out with all aspects of your, of your, of your system is I, I want to say to someone that I'm upset or angry at them is, are my words saying that is my vocal tone saying that is my body saying that is my posture saying that, um, uh, am I withholding eye contact on purpose? Am I, you know, all these, you know, suddenly you quickly realize that there's a lot of the restrictions that happen in improv aren't restrictions in the straight theater world. Um, so, and maybe that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but um, are we communicating effectively with all with all guns firing? So let's talk about your book, and let's yeah. talk about the five assumptions. And that's how you lay out your book. There's five yeah. assumptions. And the first one is, a truthful, reasonable, and clearly played scene will hold the audience's attention. Now, my take on this is, in this, in this first assumption, is it is more important to be a believable than to, to adhere to the improv rules. Yeah, exactly. So how do you teach someone to be truthful? Um, lots of scenes and lots of coaching them and telling them, <laughs> I don't believe you. Do you see what's going on? A lot of armchair improvising. Um, trying to come up with exercises that force people to act on an impulse. Um, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, I want you to change your emotion um, and maybe people, would, you know, there's short form games where you walk around the stage and each spot on the stage is a different emotion. Someone yells sad and you become you said, sad. sad. Someone yeah, yeah. yells angry, you become angry. Well, instead of just doing that, I'll say, I want you to be sad on your partner's next line. 
they have to compel you to it. They have to push you to sadness. And even though that emotion may seem put on and may seem random, it works because emotions aren't logical. They, they are, they're not illogical. They're not logical. So you could almost randomly pick emotions, but as long as you're taking them off your partner's last line. So let's give, give let's see together. if we can do that. Yeah, so yeah. let's say I gave you, so you, you want, you've instructed someone, you. Sure. Myself. Your, yes. Yourself <laughs> in the class to be, to feel sad off my last line. Yeah. Yeah. And does it necessarily have to be a sad line or could it be any line out there? Um, I, uh, I, I, I didn't think about that. I, um, I should have been more. I should have been more clear. I should have been more clear. Um, I, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have been more clear. Um, Are you okay? Uh, well, no. It's just. I mean, you asked me a really good. You asked me a great question. A great question. An amazing question about. Does the does the impetus line have to be, planned to be sad inducing? And um, Are you crying now? I, uh, do, do you want to take? Can we cut this out? Can we cut this section out? Yeah, yeah so, why don't um, you just take a glass shrink of water? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm I didn't sorry. mean to upset no, no, you. No, 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 no. Okay, so it doesn't matter what the line is. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the line is. Mm-hmm. And in fact, sometimes setting up that line can actually undo an interesting choice. I, I, sometimes I would like secretly tell people, either on, or on a dry erase board held perpendicular to the stage, you know, so I don't want the other player to know what their line is inducing. And again, uh, do these scenes from the outside observer appear at times a little uh, uh, schizophrenic? I don't know, but perhaps, perhaps. But if I don't tell the, the other people watching the scene what's going on, something else I enjoy doing is not telling everybody what the exercise is, uh, just telling the people in the scene. So the audience will judge it as a scene and not judge it as completion of exercise. And um, but it works. It works. Long the other thing I found interesting about your first assumption, and I'm just going to review it again, a truthful, reasonable, and clearly played scene will hold the audience's attention. The other thing you say is throw out the rules. Yeah. The, the, the rules of believability, clarity, the, those, those will work. And those are rules that we know because we're alive. We've been living in Western society for X number of years, for the 23 hours a day, we're not in an improv class. Well, 21 hours a day. Those are the rules we live by. So getting people to just kind of let go a little bit of those improv rules. What if I want to walk off stage in a scene? You'll have to live with the consequences. Um, but I would say that's believable. It is. Oh, it's totally, it's completely believable. If, if, the, if the situation is, if we're having, a, if we're on a terrible date, and it's just going terribly. And you're like, you know what? I'm out. And you leave. The scene's not over. If but that, if that but every improvising teacher has told me, don't leave the scene. I'm, I'm asking you to leave the scene. In fact, I will give you a note if you don't leave the scene. Uh, and I may say, hey, this may feel weird or strange, but I want you to leave the scene. Let's see what happens. Let's leave this person on stage by themselves. And let's see what happens. Um, monologues, soliloquies, and plays, movies have people, books have people by themselves on stage all the time, and we don't bat an eyelash. But let me push you a little on that one. Sure. Well, that works in class, but I can't do that in a show. I bet, I bet you can. I bet you can. Uh, um, let it... The, the, and this is why this is... It's, I'm calling it an assumption and not a rule. I am assuming that the audience will be more 
engaged by you leaving because the moment is asking you to leave this terrible date than they would be happy to see you stay unnaturally or think up some unnatural reason to stay in an unpleasant situation. That is what I'm assuming. (laughs) So you're saying that believability takes precedent over all traditional improv roles. Sure. Short answer, yes. Um, A lot's going to depend on the kind of show you're doing, the style. I talk about this in the book as well. I mean, if I'm doing, you know, 40 scenes in 20 minutes at a bar across the street from Wrigley Field, you know, (laughs) maybe that's not so important. Uh, uh, But I would love all of the players that I work with for their default, for their if all else fails, the chips are down, what do you run back home to? You run back home to, I'm just going to be a real believable person in a believable moment. Trusting that moments will arise for you to be a more active player, an active participant. Now, I know you've heard this one before. <laughs> You're telling me to be believable, not worrying about laughs, right? Yeah. But, but they're going to break up my team if <laughs> I'm not funny. Isn't that why I'm doing this, is to be funny? Yes. Yes. Long game. And again, that's what I learned from Trio, that show, Long Game. And it's something we talk about all the time. Oh, don't, you know, don't try to be funny. Day one, level one, don't try to be funny. But what you're talking about is the political reality at theaters. And sadly, the way those are managed and run does not always line up 100% with the improv rules that are taught. Um, That's an unfortunate situation. Um, I'm a small company right now. My, my Chicago Improv Studio is pretty small right now. I haven't had to do too much of compromising, but I would like, ideally, to try to reward people for doing the things I ask them to do in class. What do you tell people? And, and I get this in my class, too, because yeah. I work similar, slow at slower sure, sure, sure. That is, you know, I really love what you're teaching. But then when I get on my, my team, maybe it, it, one of the bigger institutions, yeah. they don't, they're not playing the same way yeah. I would like to play. And I'd really like to play this way. Yeah. Um, again, um, uh, it's hard to just say improv anymore. Hey, it's like music, you know. Hey, let's listen to music. You like music? Music's great. Let's go buy, I'm going to buy some more music. You know, it, it's, it's style is, is, is all important. And many theaters have a style. Even if they don't say it, there is a monkey see, monkey do. There is a undercurrent, I don't want to get cut. This theater is cutthroat. And if I don't produce, produce being what I see other successful people do, then I will be cut. Um, it's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. Um, in some ways, you do have to kind of dance to the tune that's being played. Um, and that's unfortunate. Know that the further you get along and the more you're in the business, like like yourself, you eventually get to start calling your calling the tune yourself. You you eventually will get to a place where you don't have to dance to other people's music, and and um, those are good opportunities. Or finding like-minded people and creating your own team and and um, having to sweat a little bit. <laughs> you know, uh, the second uh, assumption you make in the book is the audience would rather see a scene that starts slow and end strong than the other way around. Um, what I like about this assumption is it takes the pressure off the player or the improviser or the actor with that first line. Yeah. Yeah, the first several lines. And that, that was a, 
a paralytic place for me as a young improviser. I would go through months at a time where I would I wouldn't feel comfortable initiating a scene. I would tell I'm always going to go second. I'm just going to go second because I can't. I can't I'm the same first. way. Uh, but then I'd go through other moments where I'd be like, I can't go second. I ha- if I don't initiate, I can't improvise. You know, and what a terrible place to find yourself in, and what a pointless what a pointless place to find yourself in. Um, again, if we're doing 40 scenes in 20 minutes at a bar across the street from Wrigley Field, you know, maybe, maybe we do encourage <laughs> ridiculousness, but that's, that's that tune. That's a different song, you know, and, and that's, that's the rule there. In, in improv in general, in the, in the big picture, de-emphasizing the initiation goes a million, a million, million miles from, to getting people to relax and, and play more naturally. Um, they're not being judged on their first line. They're being judged on their fourth line, being judged on their fifth line. Uh, they're being judged on the moment when the scene is starting to coalesce. It's starting to take shape. And are they following it? Are they following that simple reality? Or are they insisting that it go another direction? So how do we take the pressure off ourselves? Because I still have it too. Yeah. That first line has got to be a killer. That first line has got to get a laugh. Yeah. Uh, something I tell my students from, from day one all the time. Wow me with how boring and mundane you can be. Uh, I'm a big fan of not just saying, with you know, don't do this, don't do that, but do this, do that. Please go out there and be mundane. Please go out there and be boring. Please say what you did at work today. Um, it, it's when people do that and they start having success doing that, they start believing it. They start. It's our job as teachers not to just tell people what to do, but make sure they experience some success, some success doing it. Those are the moments that like what's um. Was some something about Napoleon? It's just like the soldiers—they just want a victory. You got to give them a victory, and they'll follow you to the ends of the earth if you give them a victory. Uh, and and would would you say that is the 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 start of building confidence with improvisers, getting those victories? Totally, totally, totally. Um, um, a great scene feels great. I don't have to tell you that. I don't, anybody listening knows that like a great scene feels fantastic. And when you feel you're in good hands, when your coach or director or teacher is getting you into good scenes, it feels fantastic. And, and we know how paralyzing getting in a rut can be. Boy, let's, as teachers and coaches, we need to make sure our players aren't getting into ruts, you know, because it's, it's terrible. It's terrifying. It's horrible. For a player, and I know I've gotten in ruts, I continue to get it. I don't think sure. you're ever going to stop getting no, into ruts. No. What do you do if you're in a class or you're, you're being coached by somebody and you're in a rut? Um, I'm, a bi- I'm a big fan of giving yourself incredibly simple things to do, an incredibly simple task to do that you can easily do. Um, uh, I'm going to start this next scene, uh, uh, you know, you know um, uh, whatever my partner says, I'm going to repeat what they say. I'm going to repeat it back to them. You know, I can... who. When couldn't you do that, you know, and, and try to give yourself uh, uh, my so, so said, if I came in and yeah. I said, uh, I just made uh, just made a cake. You just made a cake? Yeah, it's your birthday. Oh, I'm, thank you. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. And it's like, no, I did that, you know, and like, I'm proud of myself. For, I did what I set out to do. If you give yourself a big task and, and some tasks, I think, are deceptively difficult. Like, I'm going to listen, you know, I'm really going to listen. How do we judge? It's hard to judge objectively listening, you know, but repeating what you said, it's quite easy to judge whether I did it. And now I've given myself something, you know, this is 
Anyone who's ever had some depression in their lives might know that giving yourself simple tasks, I'm going to get up, I'm going to brush my teeth. I think we call those in the business, Bill, yes. baby steps. Yes. Oh, yes. Baby steps. Um, I, I, and speaking of, I feel a lot of shame because I didn't uh, t- tell people the name of the book, and it's called The Com- Complete Improviser. Yeah, The Complete Improviser. Yeah. And you also say in the um, this, this second um, assumption, the audience would rather see a scene that starts slow and ends strong, uh, strong than the other way around, uh, that it, it's clarity is important to this. Yeah. Um, how often do you laugh at bad improv? Now, there might be some spectacle in this bad improv. There could be some jumping around. There could be, and that's not, that's, that's, that is funny. The audience enjoys it. We can't. You're talking about like the guy who's running, like he's going, uh, chasing a car. Yeah, exactly. Running in place. Or or going up the stairs. Example, we, we could be doing an incredibly sincere story about the birth of Jesus. And just through the accidents of improv, Mary ends up being this six and a half foot tall, you know, 250 pound guy. And the donkey, again, through an accident of improv, ends up being this tiny little little girl or something, you know, and like, well, now Mary's got to ride the donkey, you know. Right. That's funny, but it's not funny. You know, uh, uh, it, the spectacle of it is funny, even though the content might be completely sincere. Um uh, I'm, I'm just a big fan. Of, how often do you laugh at bad improv, you know, or confusing it? How often are you confused by something and enjoy it? I'm, now, ambiguity is different. You know, literary ambiguity, who done it, is very different, you know, than unintentional ambiguity. Um, but in that, you're buying the structure. When a who done it, you've, yeah. you've, you've oh, yeah. signed into the structure. Yeah. The audience, when they go to improv, <laughs> they sometimes they don't know what the structure is. Exactly. I, I mean, how often do you, and again, I, I have, if improv is going to stand next to other other theater, if it's going to stand next to books, movies, plays as art, well then, why does you read a book that's confusing and like it? Now again, it might be surreal, it might be uh, uh, challenging, but if if you're still confused, I don't know. They keep talking to this person, I don't know who it is, and that has gone on too long. Well, then it becomes unnerving. Then it becomes unsettling. I don't I don't like this anymore. Um, and that's difficult. I think a lot of players want to be ambiguous on purpose in, in a, in a literary sense, um, but end up being ambiguous in a who, what, and where <laughs> sense. How, how do you see that happening? Can you give us an example of that? Is it, amb- it's, it's, it's part amb- ambiguity, but it's also part fear, right? Sure. To define what's going on. Define what's going on. Oh, I don't want to step on my partner's toes. Or I'm going to say what, I, what I'm going to say is wrong and they're not going to get it. Bingo. Or they said something that I don't fully understand. I'm the idiot for not understanding it. So I'm going to pretend it didn't, they yes. didn't even say it. You know, are we in a cave or a gymnasium? I'm not sure. So I'm going to say something that could apply to both. <laughs> it's echoey in here. Mm-hmm. And then both players or are saying... The floor is, uh, the floor is hard. Yeah. Oh man, it's kind of dark. Yeah. You know, it's like both players are like, "Well, the other one knows," <laughs> but so no one knows. <laughs> how do how do we deal with that? Um, uh, exercises that ask straight up. Be blunt. Say it. Side coaching. I'm a big fan of side coaching. I don't know where you are. Somebody say it. Nine times out of ten, there are two strongest candidates for what's going on: cave or gymnasium. It's probably not spaceship, you know, based on, based on these lines we just said. 
So I'll probably shout, shout out to him. I'll you know, I see two possible places, you know, pick one. Uh, um, you know, sometimes people think about what, what could be true versus what's probably true. And I'm a big fan of play probably true. Uh, what's probably true is we're in a cave or a gymnasium and not just going to pick one. What could be true is, well, we've been shrunk down by a mad scientist shrinking ray and we're inside a, you know, a tea tin or something. You know, it's like, let's. <laughs> well, now we're just pulling stuff out of our ass. Yeah, we're inventing. Yeah, right. totally, totally. Um, the other thing you say about this, which I think is really interesting, and it, it it's a kind of a symptom of this is, I don't want to ask, if we're in a scene together, I'm not going to ask Bill a question because I've been taught not to put the burden on yeah. my partner. Uh, I love, please ask me questions. If you're on ever in a scene with me or any of your listeners are, because I love improvising. I love making, I signed up to make stuff up. I walked in the door fully accepting the burden of creation. And if the other person doesn't want to create, more improv for me. But what I... Uh, <laughs> That's what, a little glib. That's a right, little glib. <laughs> we can edit that out. But <laughs> No, please don't. But, but, it's but, staying but. in. It's staying in. I'm kidding. Um, the thing, two things that happen yeah. with me when someone throws a question. One is I feel like I have to come up with something clever yeah. right when they throw, throw me the sure. question. Sure. And sometimes I will shut down when they throw me the question. Yeah. And then the third thing, <laughs> I'm very complicated, as you know. I'll judge it. I'll be like, you know, Bill, why did you ask me a question? You're breaking the rule. Yeah. Um, the big mantra that I, I go back to and I kind of use as my as my acid test is if it happens in life, it should be able to happen on stage. Questions happen in plays. They happen in books, happen in movies. And I think we have to be able to give other improvisers permission to say something like, I don't know. I don't know. Why, why do you keep asking me questions? Uh, uh, to respond to that question as you, as you might in, in life. And you don't always have all the answers. And that's one of those moments where that pressure to say the right answer or why you, or someone has broken a rule is something that the audience doesn't understand. And they're not judging our scenes. This is another assumption. They're not judging our scenes. I think it's number five. They're not judging our scenes by the improv rules. They're judging our scenes by, do I believe this? They're, they're judging the same way they judge a book, the same way they judge a play, the same way they judge a movie. Am I, am, I, am I understanding this? And if we have to kick around three or four lines that maybe, you know, if we were to write, turn the scene into a sketch, we would delete. Oh, well, that's three or four lines out of a hundred. Oh, oh, no. You know. And the audience isn't going to remember that. Right. We're going to yeah. put more pressure on ourselves. Bingo. Totally. You know. Maybe we should have handouts to give to the audience. <laughs> like, this is when we screw up like scorecards. Scorecard, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing you mentioned in this, this uh, assumption is there is what you call deny by omission. Can you yeah. explain that? Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the commit of denial is the one that I think, you know. Uh, you Give know. us the textbook. Denial. Yeah, the textbook that would be like, hey, I got a lottery ticket. That's not a lottery ticket. That's a shoe. It's a shoe, you know. Uh, and that's the one we see a lot and the one that is quite apparent. Uh, and, and it's the one Which we, you say you don't see often, really, as much as... Really. I, you know, may, maybe if someone who hasn't improvised very much, but you tell them, don't do that, and they quit doing it. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's actually not... We made it this book. I, I wish it was that simple. <laughs> You're a much better teacher than I am. <laughs> well, I mean, if you can, if you can isolate it, and say, did you see how you did that thing? They usually, they, in my, a few people don't stop doing it, but that's, they can talk to the therapist about that. that that's, that's a bigger problem, I fear. Uh, <laughs> uh, denying of omission. Oh, denial of omission is me not 
noticing something that you are doing. You're set. You're, you're, you're delivering your lines about the job. Oh, here are those copies you wanted. Thanks. Great. Yeah, no problem. Do you need any more? I'm fine. You know, you're, you're delivering your lines. It's a little depressed, a little sad. And I'm kind of not noticing them. I'm omitting what you said. You're, you're giving me more information than just here are those copies you wanted. You're giving me emotional information that I'm not seeing. Okay. What if I, w- w- we just did that scene and I said, and I was the guy who was yeah. upbeat and I said, which yeah. doesn't happen, but uh, <laughs> let's just stretch our imagination yeah. <laughs> uh, here. And, and and I said, well, you know what? I came up with, that was a strong choice I was making. I wanted to play upbeat. Yeah. Um, people's choosing, choosing an emotion as a, as a as as a defining thing for a character can be challenging because emotions by their nature change throughout the day and even upbeat people now upbeat people are sad very very differently than sad people are sad <laughs> it's not a soul crushing thing but i've known upbeat people oh well that's isn't that's that's a shame isn't it oh you know it's like they're almost kind of saccharine in their sadness right uh, <laughs> Um, so you're not telling them to throw it out. You're telling them to make that adjustment. Make that adjustment. You're, you're a happy person. You're a person who is upbeat. You're not the emotion upbeat. And an upbeat person is going to, they're going to have sad. They're going to, they're going to get, they're going to get bad news over the phone. They're going to get a weird diagnosis from their doctor. They're going to, you know, they're going to, and, and they will, they will, they will express that through their upbeat nature. But, um, just being happy. Now, the, 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 the caveat is you can be willfully oblivious. That's the other, you know, but that's a whole different, <laughs> a whole different, to just be, and that is a character choice, to be oblivious. We got to take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back after this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Bill Arnett, and his book is The Complete Improviser. I want to just get that title out. Uh, another one of your assumptions is, an audience will enjoy a funny idea, premise, or concept when it's revealed, but their enjoyment of the rest of the scene depends on how well it's played. Yeah. Give me an example of what you mean. Um, when I was stand around, say funny things improviser, uh, especially in 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 shows like The Hot Carl and whatnot, it's easy to just say something dirty and funny. It's easy to make a big absurd choice or a big game move. Um, and think the rest of the scene will take care of itself. Um, uh, I had a buddy who started a scene with a line, um, you know, ever since that bomb went off, that turned everyone into vampires, you've been a real jerk. You know, everyone, everyone died laughing. Ha ha ha. And it's actually a, not a bad initiation. It's very clear. And it's all, it's, it's, it may be a little front-loaded for your style, but I'm not going to complain. But what that line sets up is a world where these two people are probably trapped in some bunker or something and everyone's turned into vampires. That first line is only a line. It's all of 15 seconds. If that, we still have two and a half minutes to fill. Um, and the audience, again, because they'd rather something end strong than, than, than start strong and end poorly, um, and, you know, we can leverage that assumption, too, and, and, and be like, we now have to play this scene. We now have to play this reality. It's very playable. Um, I think some people get married to funny lines. They see the, the, the gamesmanship of the funny line and don't realize they have to continue playing the scene that they are in. Um, 
they're just hiding behind their funny lines or leaving with their their funny lines, uh, which is hard. It's hard to be funny, like objectively witty, line in, line out. <laughs> but, but there are some players that I've yeah. seen over the, the years, and maybe it's 10 or 20% of the yeah. whole improv population that can be funny and witty, and it works for them. Yes. Improv is also a spectacle. It's also seeing people make things up as they go. Seeing someone be witty, line in, line out, is amazing. It's a magic trick. It's amazing. Um, and I'm not trying to take anything away by saying it's not according to Hoyle Improv, but th- there is something spectacular about that. Um, we can't, they're happening at the same. We can't divorce good improv and good spectacle. Uh, uh, they're always happening together. Um, many of those people, I kind of went back and, and thought about that too. And like, well, who are the people, who are the, the, the Rush Howells? Who are the... the uh, Peter Gwynn, I Peter think. Peter Gwynn, yes. Uh, and when you go back and watch them, they may not admit to it, they may not cop to it, but they're doing some good acting as well. And they are taking their witty lines off their partner's lines. They are, and, 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 and taking our lines as setups for, their, for those lines. And in that regard, they're not actually improvising poorly. They're being very, very witty, but they're not playing poorly, if that makes sense. Um, I think there are, for every one or two Peter Gwynns or Rush Owls, we've got a fleet of people who try to be witty. Do you go to shows or have gone to the shows over the years and studied how people approach improv and break it down? Because you seem to be, there's almost, and I think, was this a nickname, professor or scientist? There's almost uh, yeah that kind of element. Yeah. <laughs> the first team I was on, uh, People of Earth, back in 1998, uh, one of the guys in the group was the... Uh, uh, in charge of IDs for his business. Like he had a temp job doing IDs. So he made IDs for everybody on the team, like little badges, security badges. They didn't work or anything, but everybody had nicknames. And I was, I was the professor, uh, uh, Professor Payne, actually. Everyone, it was kind of a wrestling theme as well. Right. But uh, uh, um, I think I just do I don't sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and write things down. But I think by my nature, I... I I'm observant in that regard. When you look at someone like TJ Jagodowski yeah. and Dave Pesquese, sure. How, how what goes in your head in terms of them, their play, and finding what makes them so great? Um, they are again the, the clarity of their choices. They are what what they have chosen to say is being said with their words, with their voice, with their body. Um, and when you get really, really good at that, then you can start doing things like have your voice say X, but have your body say Y. You know, on purpose, intentionally. And, and isn't that what good acting, isn't that what three-dimensional acting is, you know, to, to be able to, um, to have some subtext. I mean, that's what, I mean, that is subtext. That is subtext, really, to have your voice, your vocal pattern insinuate something that your words are saying something else. Um, and there, they, I think a lot of really talented improvisers can do that naturally. Uh, it may not necessarily be training for them, um, but watching, watching the good players play, that's just something they could do. I was. I'm, how often are you confused? Not like curious, but confused by these great lines that the, the one. I mean, you've you've interviewed and done scenes with some amazing players. Right. How often are you like, I I just I'm sorry, I just don't know. I have no idea what's going on. I think what the opposite is actually true. The few times of like, if you've probably played with Dave Keckner before. Yeah, he is a strong personality. Yes, and and it is he, almost <laughs> even when. He, the, the few times I've been on stage with him, even when he's your buddy, he's your best friend in the world as a character, 
I'm still intimidated because is, it is so strong. You know, it is, ah, uh, it's almost frightening. Yeah. Um, uh, you also talk about, in this assumption, the game of the scene. And yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, short form versus long form. Sure. I'm talking about the game of the scene. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's very, very easy. And I'm certainly the kind of player, the wit-driven player, the player who who wants to see the angles and play, play the witty angles. Um to get seduced by, if I just play the game, I'm improvising well. Um, um, and, and again, the players who are really good at it are also good actors. And they, they may not say that they're acting well, but they are acting well. Um, it's easy for young players, um, and I have not read the UCB book yet. Uh, certainly seen a lot of their players, a lot of people have blown through class and whatnot. And if they had an Achilles heel, it is, well, if I just play the game of the scene... The scene will take care of itself, and um, and they, they'll uh, over operate a little bit. You know, they'll take their choice, their character choice, and just jam it down the throat of their uh, the other player, um, pushing them over a cliff. You know, they, they, getting to a point where they're, they're them staying in that scene becomes unrealistic. If I'm going to be a really grotesque guy on a first date, go back to go back to that analogy, and you're on this date with me, and I get to, and I'm just all I'm worrying about is pushing grotesque. I'm not noticing that you are getting more and more upset, more and more th- running out of excuses to stay. And what's the audience seeing at that point? Well, why doesn't she just leave? This is ridiculous. Well, you, you, know? you said something in the book that I, I thought was interesting. And you said not all scenes have games. And, and I think there, there's a, there, there is a, a thought that certainly I would imagine, and sure. I'm I haven't read the book either, but I would imagine the UCB probably thinks differently that all uh, scenes have games. And again, there's going to be some style differences, you know, um, and, and in order to achieve a certain sound on the guitar, there's different techniques you need to get mm-hmm. it to happen. That doesn't invalidate other techniques. Um, you're never going to see a heavy metal guitarist use a slide. Well, that doesn't mean slide guitar in a country song is wrong. It just means if you want to have those 100 mile an hour solos, you, you got to play that heavy metal style, that legato style. Um, um, I think all scenes have some uh, relationship character and some game character. And maybe it's 95%, 5%, maybe it's 5%, 95%. Uh, but I think it's when we dismiss entirely, this is own, this scene is only a relationship scene or this scene is only a game scene. If we're in a relationship scene, and you are convinced this is this is exclusively a relationship scene, and something occurs naturally because it's improv that could be a little fun and gamey. You might dismiss it on principle and end up omittedly denying the moment. You know, uh, 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 and again, it's a principle that the audience is not aware of, and they're not judging us on. And instead, you've made a choice to make things a little bit unreal to keep to maintain a principle. You know. Uh, and that unreality could hurt the scene and, and could end up causing a fracture in the scene. So, you, you, so you're in a scene and you see this opportunity to play a game. Yeah. Which, which you know, if you've ever gone to a party with a lot of improvisers, <laughs> we're playing, <laughs> they're playing bits, they're playing games. Yeah. We do it in life. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And you're saying, um, out of principle, people say, I, I don't want to do this because this is too gamey, which basically is something we would do in life to, to go for it. Um, acknowledge it, tip your hat to it, 
notice that it's there, how aggressively you play it. You know, we, we, we can't assume that um, just because it's a game, it has to be loud and crazy with marginally acceptable acting. You know, there are very, very good games that are played. Uh, so, I mean, 98% of sketch comedy is, you know, it's analog would be a game and improv, you know. Uh, and I think when people start getting into game mode, they associate all the negative aspects, sloppy acting, loud voices, kind of a machismo thing going on. And that isn't necessarily, that's not, that's not a requirement. Um, I was in a, a scene one time that was a very, very ridiculous game scene, kind of a press conference scene, but it wasn't a press conference. It was people doing a eulogy at a funeral. Now that's, that's the exact opposite of loud and crazy. And I was so, so, happy with myself and happy with the other players that everyone kept it small and kept it light and each of the beats of the game each of the each of the intentional pushes and shoves and game moves were 20 seconds apart which you know 30 seconds apart people were really taking it slow and letting it play slow and i was just like and that's one of the scenes that sticks with you i mean if you probably have a handful of scenes that like i did this scene 15 20 years ago and it has stuck with me you know why did that scene stick with me and that scene did because it really proved that Game does not equal high energy. It doesn't equal fast. It doesn't equal speed. It, it just equals, and in my definition, game is probably a little bit different than UCB's definition, you know, some slight variations. But uh, if you're doing a frustration game, pace is not necessarily... Explain, and you do it in the book, what the frustration game is, because it's a pretty common one. I, I, I would say that, and again, I have not gone through the UCB manual page by page, but I think when they say game... I would call that same thing the frustration game because the point is to frustrate somebody. Uh, the over-talkative bank teller. The example he used a lot is the talkative bank teller who's just yammering away, not processing <laughs> the transaction. And the person gets frustrated with the bank teller. The guy who's like, hey, you know, I, I got to tell you something. The Cubs win. It was so good. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. I did. I'm, I'm on my lunch Anyways, break right you now. Know, uh, could, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I just got in. I mean, I am so tired. Do you need my ID? Is this fine? I wrote my account number on the, the check. The Cubs are like, they are the best. Oh, Could you? Uh, sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, did you see it on the internet? Uh -huh. Like, they're like, yeah. it's total so yeah. celebration. Yeah. What are you, a Sox fan or Cubs fan? I don't really follow baseball. It's fine. Re just, You're kidding me. How could you live I'm in the on city my lunch and not break. I'm on my lunch break. And I just, oh I just had a little God, bit of Oh, my God. That game last night was amazing. Could you please? Can we please speed it's this up? It's been 108 years. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you. You're still at uh, 511 Greenview? Yes, yes. All right. So so my job yeah, was yes. just to get you more and more frustrated. Yeah. And you did a great job of retreating, mm -hmm. uh, uh, of, of um, you know, not necessarily being... I'm trying to get... You know, there's a difference between frustrating somebody and being talkative. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Or, or, and if you just keep keep talking, well, I'm just going to ask for someone else. But you realized, I don't want to lose. I'm being rude. I'm being inconsiderate. Well, I also realized I had a job, and, and I, I have to, There's two things going on. Bingo. And that is layered. That is textured. That is three-dimensional. That's injured. That's compelling. And that's going to... We can turn 30 seconds into three minutes, into six into nine minutes. You know what I'm saying? And, and it is that... It's not just, you know... Uh, not just laying off the game, it is being compelled to lay off the game. What is compelling you to, uh, you know, I had a student, I think it's a UCB phrase, resting the game. And I've heard some of my students mention that and say, you know, say that. I'm like, that, that's not incorrect. But I would rather you're not just resting it because you were told to rest it. You're resting it because just as you said, I'm not 
here to just yammer about baseball. I'm a real person with a real job. And if this, my customer is getting angry or upset, this could reflect poorly on me. I am, I am, I am resting it as an informed choice uh, to try to continue this thing, you know? Well, I guess I'm a better improviser than, than, than <laughs> was, I thought. Um, but, uh, and speaking of, uh, your last assumption is that the audience does not know that, and you, you talked about this, yeah. does not know the rules of improv or your form and will not judge you based on that. Yeah. And you give examples of ways scene can go awry. And I, uh, here's some things that I do that you talk about in the book sure. uh, that I need help with. <laughs> I have a habit, and you talk about it in the book, uh, this is one of the, I think you, there's like 10 or 12 of things that could go awry. Yeah, it was, I almost didn't want to include that, but I, I wanted to Why? be. Um, in some way, I didn't want it to be depressing. I wanted it to be uplifting. I always want to be giving people positive instruction, you know, rather than saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. I'd rather say, do this, do that. Um, so but, when you're teaching, you're conscious of saying, don't do this. You always flip it, I bet, in your head. You're trying to say, do, do this, this, make this choice. Um, um, but in, in, <laughs> in kind of like an honesty, it's kind of like a, a scientific honesty, I have to assume that I didn't call them the five rules. There are five assumptions. And if you assume those things, you're going to have success X, Y, and Z, but you're also going to have problems A, B, and C. And, and I can't, it'd be unfair, maybe I'm too analytical, this is probably Bill's scientist coming out, but like, you know, gravity's still a theory, you know, all those kinds of things. Well, to me, it almost <laughs> sounds like a disclaimer. It's like, yeah. you know, I wouldn't want to get emails to go, you know, Bill, I followed all these five assumptions, and yeah. now this is happening exactly. in my work. Exactly. So I just, I, I, like, I need to be truthful, I need to be honest with myself and say, you know, maybe some of these aren't the best. Maybe, maybe there are going to be some problems. I mean, every theater has its own success is success, but every theater screws up in different ways. And my screw ups, <laughs> I try to like, these are the screw ups that I encounter. Well, yeah. that's what I liked about it. And, yeah. and I think, you know, we've talked about like uh, recently, uh, my wife and I just had a baby. I've talked about this. Yeah. No one told me how hard it was. You know, nobody told me that you wouldn't fall in love with the baby oh, right yeah. when she came out. And I would rather have people, <laughs> and people said to me, oh, it's going to be joyful, but I would rather people say to me, okay, this is going to happen, okay, some really yeah. good stuff, but also be prepared for this other stuff. Sure. Yeah, our, our obstetrician, in a completely stone face, said, there'll probably be a time when you'll want to throw the baby out a window. You're not a bad parent, just give the baby to your wife or, you know, give the baby to a spouse and, 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 and move on. And seeing him do it not... He wasn't being silly. He was being serious. I was like, oh, gosh. So sure enough, when, when that day happened, I was like, oh, I was prepared. I was, I'm not a bad person. I'm not, I'm not an evil parent, you know, uh, when uh, I want to throw the baby out the window. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've had that feeling many times, yeah. you know, <laughs> especially when they're crying and you can't get them to sleep or they're not going to oh, yeah. take a nap. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so playing negative. I struggle yeah. with this all the time. I want to make the negative choice. I want to make the angry choice. Yeah. Uh, uh, when, when I open the door, it's a bit of a Pandora's box telling people, do whatever. Say no, ask questions. You know, it, and you really encourage that. I encourage it. I encourage it. But it is a, a Pandora's box. Um, th there are people for whom they would prefer not to. They, they would, they, you know, that, that's just kind of their natural... Your natural thing. Um, having the other thing I do, I, I tell 
the improvisers that sometimes the best note, a, a better note for me, wait a minute, the best way to give a note is not from the teacher, it's from the other player within the scene. So if I'm in a scene with you and you're, I feel like you're being inappropriately neg- negative beyond the scope of this moment, um, then I'm going to tell it to you. I'm going to say it to you. Dude, why are you being... I mean, the audience saw it. They're not... They're, they don't know it's called being negative. They don't know, oh, that person's denying, but they do see someone being negative. Why are you being such a downer? You know, and I think that note, empowering other players to give those notes to each other a little bit. In character. In character. Right. That, I mean, that, that's not, I mean, I can't omittedly deny your your negativity. Mm-hmm. I have to. I have to see it. I have to do something with it. Maybe you're like that all the time. Oh. <laughs> There's Jimmy being negative, being a negative Nelly again. You know, and, and in some ways, it makes space for that negativity. It actually makes it a positive choice. You know. Um, we do have to be careful with the person who does it all the time. And as a coach or teacher or director, I get to see that player perform multiple scenes a day, week in, week out. And you can, you can begin to see when someone's just being, you got to pull them aside. And, and I mean, there have been some players and I, 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 I'll give them challenges. Like in this next scene, I want you to be, uh, you know, a happy, a happy grandmother, you know, or, or, or it's one I use often to just to get people to try to be like fake being happy for a little bit. Um, I think we can all agree that I've just gone rogue. (laughs) The other thing that I struggle with is, and you talk about it in your book, this, when you get in an argument, which you say arguments are part of life, they're they're fine, even though, again, it's it's against some of the training we've we've been taught, um, that the character needs to win. So what do you do in that situation where you're going back and forth and it becomes kind of a blame scene? Yeah. Yeah. what, in some ways, what you just said is the perfect line of dialogue. This this is becoming a blame situation, you know. Like in some ways, that that voice inside of us that says this isn't working in an improv context of working, maybe that voice needs to be dialogue. We're just we're just going in circles, blaming each other right now. Yeah, I know. know. We're just we're just blaming each other. Well, yes. Okay. But that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That we're blaming each other. I, I agree that we're blaming each other. Well, then why are you mad? I'm just. I'm, I'm mad because I'm, I'm mad because you're an hour late. You should have said that twenty minutes ago. Now, I mean, you chose to jam that upset into the last. Well, you asked me why I was upset, and I told you right why I was Did upset. You? Yes. Did I not hear it then? No, you didn't hear well, then it. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't oh, hear you. Oh, fuck you! I'm what sorry. the yes. fuck are you doing? <laughs> I thought that was nice. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so, why did that work? Because, well, for one thing, we're, we're it's it's a it's a kind of a mutual frustration kind of situation, right? But so we were both agreeing or, or mirroring. It, what? It's alive. It is alive. I'm not. I didn't choose to be angry in my head. So I'm just. Ooh, what's the next fun, a funny angry thing to say? I'm hearing what you're saying and letting that in, inspire my next line. It's about being in the moment, being you know, listening to what's going on, and and truly letting what you say affect me, and and you know, it, it is it is your lines that not just the words, but how they're being delivered. Um, and there were a number, but both of us not only reacted to the words, we were each reacting to the you know, I'm sorry, you know, that's like where did that <laughs> choice come from? Because that was a really good choice. That's not something that I I would have. Well, that was me losing. Mm-hmm. That was you saying, I, no, no, no. I told you 20 minutes ago that you're an hour late. I can either continue saying you were wrong. And, and, and 
and for and, and it's, not, it's not necessarily a bad choice either. But in that moment, I chose to lose, but be a complete poor sport to seed that the seed the fact that you told me 20 minutes ago and you also made a strong emotional choice to support that so it was very clear to me yeah, it wasn't just I, words i'm still who i am right and i think some people think losing means oh yeah you're right i'm sorry this whole thing was my fault and it's like no you just you just changed who you were this person we've met at the beginning of the scene is a little hot-blooded they're laying and they've been getting it they've been getting into it you can't throw that away but you can certainly see the point. You can certainly see the plot point. That's not. That's that's nothing. You know, we do that all the time. You know, we we are people are mistaken, and I think the people who hate to lose hate to ever be. Their characters are never mistaken, and I think that's. I mean, we're dealing with that in politics right now. Someone uh-huh. who would never hurt <laughs> I me. Mean, I was like, that is frustrating to all of us, and for the audience to see someone who is oddly refusing to ever be mistaken, it starts ringing untrue. And, and those are the people who are just kind of recalcitrant. They're, 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 they, they're arguing to win, but what are they winning? What are they, the actor, winning? Well, I think sometimes, I know for me, when I get in an argument scene, it's almost like a reenactment of what's going on in life, you know? <laughs> totally. And so... You don't know how to let. You don't know how to navigate through that yeah. and, and know how to lose because that's yeah. not how we're trained in life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um, it's hard to let go of emotion. That's. I mean, what keeps arguments going is it's hard to just turn off emotion. It's hard to just turn off feelings. It's hard to just. Oh, <laughs> duh! I'm sorry. I was yelling at you for forty minutes. I found the keys. They weren't in your purse after all. You know, it's like we can't just turn that stuff off. And it's true in life. And it's, unfor- it's an unfortunate... I mean, you have children or a child there, you know. It's so frustrating because they can turn off their emotion immediately. They can start and stop emotions, and I can't, you know. And I'm still carrying on. They lose something and are sad and are crying. And I'm struggling, going around the house trying to find it, frantically trying to find it. And they find it and are immediately happy. On a dime, they're happy. But I'm still amped up trying to find their lost toy, you know. And I just can't... I can't shut that down right away. Um, and that's a real human thing. And that's what perpetuates arguments many times is this like, I can't just turn it off or I want to save face or I want this to be over, but I want the other person to start it being over, you know? And that's, that's theater, man. That's interesting. That's drama, you know? So you're talking... That's Downton Abbey. That's like good stuff, you know? (laughs) I I love Downton Abbey. Did you love Downton Abbey? Uh, I didn't... Love it, love it, but I certainly enjoyed it. When it was on, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Yeah. It was the only show that my wife and I would watch together. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was a great <laughs> yeah. show. And finally, you know, you're talking about emotions, you know, yeah. and there's another thing you talk about, and it's something that I need help with. And I, I don't know sometimes if it's, you know, when I improvise, I'm tired, but there's a sense of that I'm shut down emotionally. Like, sure. I can't access my emotions. And you uh, mentioned, you call it uh, emotionally bulletproof. Yeah. And that's the... the and it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's the person for whom the emotional reality of the moment is not having an effect on. Uh, back to that poor date scene. We're on a date, and I'm just being loud and obnoxious and, like, belching and, you know, ordering two cocktails at a time, you know, Um and you start getting a little, at first maybe it's funny, but then it gets a little ridiculous, and now you're looking for an out. You know, uh, um, I have to be able to see that. I have to, that has to have, you, me, you slowly losing your interest in me 
cannot be lost on me. Now, does that mean I change who I am and I start behaving? Not necessarily. No, not at all. But what? Come on. You can have, you can get two drinks too. It's fine. You know, it's like I have to acknowledge your emotional changes, just as if it was a vocal choice, I, identically to if it was a vocal choice that you made. Um, and that's going to be where, you know, good acting. You may not say something rude to me right away on that date scene, but your body language will, will certainly close off if I'm being completely boorish and, you're, and you're, your tone is going to change. And I have to play that just as aggressively as I would your words. And you, have, you had a game that I think really helps with this, which is, um, I forget what you call it, but you would say a line and, and they'd have to, uh, the, one player would say a line and the next person had to respond with a sound, an emotional response. Emotional noise. Yes, I just, just did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, it just makes people have, have, make an emotional choice right at the beginning. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. Everywhere you are in life, you're either where you want to be or you where you, you don't want to be, but something's keeping you there. You know? You, I mean, is it simple as saying is <laughs> you're, you're always, you always feel, you always have a feeling. You never don't have a feeling. You're never just there. And sometimes in improv, we fall into that. Well, I'm just at work. You're not just at work. You either like being at work. You may like it a lot or just a little, but you like being at work or you don't like being at work. Is it as simple, Bill, as you either like it or don't? Sure. Yeah. Now, liking it could imply a massive range of, of likes from it's nice all the way to I'm madly in love with this job or this woman or this whatever. And same thing with not liking, you know, uh, uh, you could be mildly annoyed eh, by the job. job. You know, it's it's whatever. Pays the bills. You know, there's something keeping me. There's something compelling me to be there. If there wasn't, if I didn't need to pay the bills, I wouldn't have the job. You know? So in the same regard, I, I say it just to illustrate that we always have a, every situation we are in, there is a feeling. There is something. There is a feeling we are feeling. And it's not huge. It's not jacked up to 11. Even if it's just a one or a two, we're still feeling it, you know? Um, and when someone comes up and asks us a question about anything, or just comes up and engages with us, that feeling slips out. You know, that that's the feeling we have. Um, you going to lunch? Oh, uh, Jimmy, right? Yeah. 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 Um, gosh, uh, is it, is it lunch? Yeah. We're all going to, I, oh, everyone, oh, everyone's we're going to subway. Yeah. For Brad's birthday. Subway for Brad's birthday? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm like, uh, everybody's going? Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Are we going now? Yeah, we're all, we're all meeting down uh, at the, in the lobby. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, let me close up some stuff here. Go ahead, you'll make, your way, make your way down. You'll make your way down. I'll, I'll close up stuff here, all right? Okay. Because, uh, you know, I want to know how many people, you know, get a table and stuff. We're going to Subway? Yeah. Okay. Is that... Brad didn't want to go to like uh, O'Malley's or uh, no, it's his favorite restaurant. I think Subway's is it's probably his favorite place to go to lunch because it's cheap and it's right next to the building. But I'm not sure if that's his favorite restaurant, Jimmy. I think that's just he likes going there because it's convenient. It's a surprise party for him. Oh 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 oh! I planned it. Okay. Um, okay. Um, count. You talked to Diane and... Uh, Diane and I organized it. Oh, good. So Diane's... So she's involved. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Okay, yeah. I'll be, I'm there. I'm there. I'll be there. Okay. Right. I'll be there. Sure, sure, sure. 
Like 10 minutes? Yeah. Perfect. I'm there. I'm Can there. I, I need um, $10. Everyone's kicked in $10 for, we got him a cake at Mariano's. And then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. 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 There you go. It's five. Oh, duh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do, do, do. There you go. Thanks. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me close up shop here. Cool. Yeah. I don't like Jimmy. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? <laughs> uh, uh, at no point did I say that in words, you know, but I was just, and in fact, I just I wanted an excuse to say no. I'm just like fishing was, for an excuse. It was interesting because <laughs> when you did it, I'm like, I didn't think you didn't like me. I was like, or did he, didn't want to go, he didn't want to go to the party. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was all it was all twenty seconds. Right, it could have been either way. As the scene right. goes on longer, we might be able to figure it right. out. But we're certainly, we're at least, my resistance is is palpable. Mm-hmm. It's noticeable. So, and I just could have easily been like, "Hey, dude, what's up?" Total Subway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Brad's birthday. Totally awesome. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Just... We're, we're doing a surprise party for him. Shut up. Really? Yeah. Could you sign the card? Totally, totally, totally. I'm gonna sign it upside down. Cool. <laughs> Getting out of the work, though. That's nice. Yeah. How long do you think we can get out for? Uh, Diane says uh, we can probably get out for like two hours. Boom, boom. Yeah, that's why she did it on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Who's going to be there? Everybody gonna be there? Uh, Diane's going to be there. Chuck. Cool. Chuck's Chuck, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tony. And uh, yeah. Brad's going to join. Uh, Brad is coming. Cool, okay? cool. But he's going to be a little late. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stevie's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that's all I know. Why are we talking here? Why don't we talk on the, the hallway, man? Let's get out of here. Well, because um, I don't, you know, it's a surprise party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't all be like walking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like for the next 20 minutes. It's all kind of trickle out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But be cool. You know what I'm saying? Don't be too old. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 dude. Yeah. So if you got a 10 spot, because we're like, get we got him a cake and shit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool, cool. I got a 20. I'll break it out the subway and then give you the 10. Is that cool? Cool. Just don't do it in front of him. You oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Get out Great. of work. Great. Get yeah. out of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't say anything. No, 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 no. Okay. Because no, no. I know he comes by with the mail. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just be, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Awesome. All right. I'll, I'll see you there. See you there. No, you won't. Wink, wink. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Knew you were really coming, right? Oh, no, no, totally, totally, okay. totally, totally, totally. Oh, wink, wink is like, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Got yeah, it. I'm, I'm excited about it. Get out, get okay. out, get out of this. Yeah. Get tie down for a little bit, you know? Yeah. Maybe after this, we like, you think we can get an O'Malley strip out of this? Maybe somebody for an hour and then like O'Malley's for an hour? You think we could? Yeah. That's cool, what I want to hear. That's yeah. what I want to hear. Hey, there's some beer in the fridge, too. Shut up, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, maybe, yeah, yeah. When we, you know, if we if we can talk everyone to go to O'Malley's and we yeah, come yeah. back and just like party till five. Dude, dude, keep your subway cup. Okay. Get a fountain soda. Don't get a bottle. Get a fountain. Keep it. Keep the lid. Fill it up with some brewski. You know, beer through a straw is kind of weird, but like, yeah. it's nice. Cool, man. It's better than nothing. Cool, cool. Better than yeah. nothing. Guess what? What? Tad's got some weed. This 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 is getting crazy. Yeah, this it's is getting, getting crazy. crazy. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. Let's let's to Tad. Tad, yeah, yeah. Let's the hit, guy, the guy yeah, in the yeah. mailroom. Let's let's hit that the loading dock before we go, so it can be by the time we're. You know, at Subway and at the bar, it's really going to be hitting us, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, like time released. Yeah, yeah, we got time it, man. We got time it. Yeah, okay. Awesome. Shit. Awesome. Okay. Shit. I got to get back to where I am. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. See, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I, I, yeah. Totally different reaction at the beginning. I'm mm-hmm. happy to see you. You know what right. I'm saying? And, and then I'm, we discover these guys are kind of fuck-ups. Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. And partiers and totally parties, whatever. Yeah. 180 degrees different. And really, yeah. we kind of played the same dialogue for the first half of the scene. Sure, the car, yeah, yeah. With same same beats. What's going on? What's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
but just through that different lens of how I feel about it. You know what I'm saying? How do you do that? Like, like for me is like, how do you get that muscle to make that emotional choice every time? Um, Coming up with exercises that, that force it, like the emotional noise exercise. I mean, that's like day one, level one. And I'm constantly asking people, constantly reviewing. Something that's weird is that, uh, I know in your improv training, the idea of doing exercises more than once is like forbidden, you know? And like That and you never repeated a character. If you yeah, did a yeah. character <laughs> in a show, that was it, you threw it out. Yeah, yeah. And you can't do it again. And then if you did bring it up, you would, you would feel like you cheated. Yeah. I, I remember like in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, you could still drill three-line scenes. But that was the only exercise that you could like do as a drill. But, I mean, that's actually, you know, you're playing professional basketball. You need basketball at any level, you're doing drills all the time, you know? And speaking of Kackner, because yeah. I did several shows with him, Dave always used to say, you know, you always go back to blocking and, and, and tackling. You always yeah, yeah. go back to the basics. Yeah, you yeah. always go back to agreement. Always go back to certain yeah, yeah, yeah. things. So, yeah, that's definitely day one, level one, pretty much day one, every every level and if not reviews along the way and different slices of the same exercise, you know, like repeating a line, but changing how you say it. I think you had one, we we did this example earlier where Mm -hmm. I repeated a line you said, but there's an infinite number of ways to say it. You know, I filled up the uh, uh, car with gas. You, you, you filled up the car with gas. I filled up the car. You filled, you, you filled up the car with gas. Yeah. You, you asked me to. I, Yeah. I'm just surprised. You actually did it. You left a note on the counter. Yes. And you said. Yes. Could you fill up the car with gas? Please. And that's not the first note I've left, is it? I didn't see please on there. Okay. Well, along the long laundry list of notes I've left for you, some of them have said please. Some of them have said douchebag. Some of them have said Pull your weight around here. All right. Okay. So, Kyle, I'm just telling I'm you. I'm awesome. Great. Great. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm, I'm shocked. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. That's one take. The yeah. other take could be, <laughs> yeah. I filled the car with gas. Boom. Love it. Cool. Awesome. Great. We're ready to roll. Cool, man. Because I, I wanted, I'm a stickler about getting gas before the road trip. I know. I, hate, I know. I don't I know. want to stop on the way. We don't I have know. to. I know. If we're making good time. Yeah. I stocked up the cooler. We're good to go, we man. Go. Can I give go. me a little boom. boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I think we can do it in four hours. Boom. Uh, totally. Yeah. Here's the trick. Okay. We got to miss traffic coming out of Chicago. Okay. And we got to miss traffic in Indianapolis. Okay. And if we can time it just right to be before rush hour in Chicago, after rush hour in Indy, we'll get there. Okay. So I told work yeah. that I needed to be off by two. Boom. So you come by. Boom. We're there? We're there. Great. I'll be right in front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And we can do this same line. Got the car over, and over and over and over again. Infinitely. Infinitely. What, what makes the identity of the scene is that emotional choice. That, that is, that is, that's carrying the burden of that scene. Um, it's not necessarily the words, you know. Th- those same choices could be done with any, you know, I baked a cake. You know, it, 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 it's, um, I think an example I use in the book is like the movie Taxi Driver and the movie The Big Lebowski. Like, how different would Taxi Driver be if Travis Bickle wasn't a taxi driver, but he was an office mailroom clerk, you know? And Jodie Foster and Harvey Keitel were, like, an evil boss and his, you know, secretary. You know, it's like, we could find the analogs, and we could still make that movie mostly work, 
you know, and he's pushing his cart down the aisles. Look at these people. You know what I'm saying? Like the filth and the scum. You know, it's like, we well, can make it work. It may be, if you had never seen, if you'd seen Taxi Driver, it may be a little funny, but if you had never seen Taxi Driver, it might actually work exactly, you know? But if we change who Travis Bickle is and make Travis Bickle instead Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski, well, that, that movie's not going anywhere. He's still a taxi driver, but like the first scene in that movie is Travis Bickle getting a job and the dude's never going to get a job. You know, it's like this movie can't even happen, you know? So what is the identity of the movie Taxi Driver, you know? Even though it's named Taxi Driver, it's actually Travis Bickle, you know? And, and thinking about scenes in that regard, what we can hold different things constant, make things variable, which variable radically shifts the outcome? And as we just saw, it was not the first line of that scene that shifted the outcome. It was my feeling about that first line. It dramatically shifted the outcome. So, there, so there's got to be something there. There has to be, that has to be, you know, that's got to be where we put our emphasis. That's got to be where we put our, our, our soul, our heart, you know? Yeah. We got to wrap this up. This no has worries. been great. The book is called The Complete Improviser. We always end the podcast with the same question. I think we asked it to you uh, <laughs> when you did the, the uh, show the first time. Yeah. What is one piece of advice you would give to an improviser starting out today? Um, I forgot what it was last time. Enjoy, I, I, I enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Um, no, one's, no one's judging you. No one's... No one's Marking your progress, no one's looking to pass you or failure or, or judge you. Uh, uh, it, it's a wonderful trip. Do what you can to let go of all that and enjoy the ride. Bill Arnett, thank you so much. Author of The Complete Improviser, thanks for being our guest on Improv Nerd. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. I want to thank my guest, Bill Arnett. And please, if you get a chance, pick up his book, The Complete improviser. I'd like to thank Dan Schiffmacher, my producer, uh, who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you would not be hearing my voice right now. And of course, Sam Bowers, the director of Improv Nerd, and Lauren Corain. I don't have a title for her, but uh, she always helps me prepare uh, for the interviews. I guess you could call her a producer, an editor. I don't know, but I want to thank her as well. Uh, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes, workshops, and intensives called The Art of Slow Comedy, go to my website at jimmycorain.com and also sign up for the Improv Nerd blog slash newsletter. Every week or pretty much close to every week, I will send you out a blog, a new blog uh, that will help you become a better improviser and sometimes just a better person. Uh, also, follow us on social media. As you know, we have a Facebook page. And if you like Improv Nerd, it really helps with my low self-esteem. Follow us on Twitter, which is Improv underscore Nerd. And please, I'm begging you, go to the YouTube channel, uh, which is Improv Nerd Podcast, and you will see clips from our live interviews. We're also part of this wonderful podcast collective called feralaudio.com. Some of the most hilarious podcasts and innovative too, I'm going to say, uh, out there right now are all on feralaudio.com. And if you want to help us out here at Improv Nerd, uh, the best way to do it is one, you can go to the uh, the uh, iTunes. Yeah, you, know, you can go to that iTunes 
Go to the iTunes and write us a nice review. Or go to feralaudio.com when you're going to buy something from Amazon and just uh, click on the buy. I think it's like buy now button or something. You'll see it. It's, it's right on the homepage. Uh, and a little money comes back to uh, here, a little improv nerd. Money comes back to help uh, help us you know, keep this thing going. Uh, and uh, I think that's it. Uh, I want to thank you, as always, for listening and your continued support. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein. And I love giving you a blowjump. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 